Welcome to Highlands Church Audio Sermons. Today, August 13th, 2023, we continue our series titled, Knowing Jesus, the Gospel of Luke. Today's sermon, Faith and Compassion, will be taught to us by Pastor Thomas Slager out of Luke chapter 7, verses 1 through 17. But first, here's a quick recap of our previous sermon. Jesus speaking, he says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? And that's humbling. There's an internal battle going on in us, and that internal battle is our desires. It's important for us to understand that Jesus Christ did not come to this world to assist you in your desire. Jesus Christ came to this world so that you would follow his. This is about your surrender, your following of the person of Jesus Christ. It is not the outside that is creating the spiritual warfare. It is the war within you between the Holy Spirit and our fleshly desire. Someone who obeys Christ has proven that their faith is founded on the rock of Christ. It comes with pillars of grace and faith in the person of Jesus Christ to hold an overwhelmingly heavy roof with a steeple that points clearly to the clouds, to the glory of God. I want to give you a little history of where we've been with the Gospel of Luke and then where we went over summer and kind of transition us into our series back in the Gospel of Luke this morning. Before we got to summer, we were in Luke chapter 6. In Luke chapter 6, Jesus said something along the lines of this. Blessed are you when you come to me, hear the words that I say, and actually do them. Blessed are you when you hear the things I say and actually do them. And then Jesus says, I'll tell you what that person's like. That person is like a wise man who dug a deep foundation and built his house upon a rock. The floods rose, the winds came, and the storm raged, but the house was fine. Why? Because it's built on the firm foundation of who Christ is, what Christ has taught, and what Christ has done for us. So we left the Gospel of Luke with this idea of having a firm foundation, a strong faith, a faith that's built upon the rock. And then we took six weeks to talk about spiritual disciplines. Uh, You could say metaphorically, we entered God's gym. What's it look like for us to grow and strengthen and flex that faith muscle that he's given us? How do we grow in our faith? We looked in 1 Timothy and saw that bodily training is of some value. It's good to diet and exercise and be healthy. That's valuable in some ways, but it's more valuable to train for godliness. That's a value in every way. It holds promises for this life and the life to come. So for six weeks, we talked about growing in our faith, spiritual disciplines, training for godliness. We talked about confession, agreeing with God about who he is. And we talked about praise, also agreeing with God about who he is. We talked about community, committing to community and fellowship with one another. We talked about rest and Sabbath. We talked about giving and stewardship. We talked about studying God's word and meditating on God's word. Not like the um kind of meditation, but dwelling in God's word. We get in the word so the word can get into us. We spent six weeks talking about how do we grow in our faith? How do we grow in our faith? How do we grow in our faith? Now this morning, as we get back into the gospel of Luke, Luke chapter seven, we're going to hear more about faith. What is faith? How do we grow in that faith? And how should that faith work itself out in our lives. So like I said, we are in Luke chapter 7, back in our series called Knowing Jesus. Um, why Luke, you might ask? Why Knowing Jesus? As a church, here's what we're trying to do. We're trying to follow Jesus. We're trying to follow Jesus. We're not trying to create religious people. 
We're not trying to teach people to regurgitate the right answers, to say the right thing and do the right thing. We want people to follow Jesus. That's what Jesus called people to. He saw his first disciples and said, follow me, follow me, follow me, follow me. So why knowing Jesus? Because we want to know who Jesus is so we can follow him better. And that's what we see in Luke 7 this morning. Let me pray once again, and then we'll hop in Luke chapter 7, verses 1 through 17. God, um, we give you this time to do what you will. God, we pray for your will. We pray for your way. God, as your son prayed, your kingdom would come um, on earth as it is in heaven. That's the prayer we have this morning as well, God, that your kingdom would come, your will would be done in Highlands Church as it is in heaven. God, we pray not just this morning for uh, the church here that meets in Highlands. God, we pray for the churches all across the valley who are preaching your gospel this morning. God, we pray that you would have your will and your way in those congregations as well. God, congregations and church families meeting all across the world. God, we pray that you would do what only you can do, that you'd say the word and change lives in places all over the place this morning for your glory and your glory alone. God, we pray you do that in this house of worship as well this morning. God, that you would change us, that you would say the word, that you would speak, that we would hear you clearly and that we'd respond in obedience and build a life on a firm foundation, the foundation of your son, Jesus Christ. God, everything we say and do this morning is for your glory and your glory alone. It's in the name of your son, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Luke chapter seven, we've got two stories. Two stories to cover this morning. Two stories with uh, real contrasting components. In the first story... Uh, we see Jesus ministering to a Roman centurion, a wealthy Gentile, by healing his dying servant. In the second story, we see a grieving Jewish widow, and we see Jesus raise this Jewish widow's only son. In both stories, we see that Jesus has authority over all things, and in both stories, we see that Jesus is for all people. That's from both of those big ideas we're going to draw application from this morning. Luke chapter 7, beginning in verse 1. After he had finished all his sayings in the hearing of the people, he entered Capernaum. Jesus just got done speaking this sermon on the plain. It's countercultural teaching for how we as God's people live a countercultural life. Now a centurion had a servant who was sick and at the point of death who was a highly valued by him. A centurion was a, a, a Roman warrior, a Roman soldier. They were a Gentile, I mean of non-Jewish descent. They had authority, they had status, they had wealth. So this guy was really something in the eyes of the people in this community. When the centurion heard about Jesus, he sent to him elders of the Jews asking him to come and heal his servant. And when they came to Jesus, they pleaded with him earnestly, saying, he is worthy to have you do this for him. He is worthy to have you do this for him. Why? First thing, for he loves our nation, and he is the one who built us our synagogue. Now, normally, these two groups of people would not be playing on the same playground together. Okay, Jews and Gentiles, historically, did not get along. But something has gone on here in this relationship where this Roman leader, this Gentile centurion, could go to the Jewish leaders and say, hey, would you go talk to Jesus for me? Would, would you go to Jesus, the king of the Jews? Would you go to this, this master, this rabbi, this guy that I'm hearing all about? I'm, I'm hearing he's telling stories I've never heard before in teachings. He teaches with this kind of authority. He's, he's doing miracles, like he's doing some amazing things. Would you go talk to him for me? So they do. So Jesus went with them, and he was not far from the house. The centurion sent friends, saying to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I'm not worthy 
I'm not worthy to even have you come under my roof. Interesting fact from this story, Jesus and the centurion never even meet. Not once. They don't exchange words for each other. It's like they're uh, passing notes in fourth grade. Can you bring this to the girl I like and tell her what I said about her? It's just like a game of telephone. They never meet. And this Roman centurion, you see this humility of heart that he has. The, the Jewish rulers, they go to Jesus and they say, this guy's worthy. This guy's worthy. The centurion sends friends and says, I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy to even stand face to face with you. I'm not worthy to even have you come under my roof. Verse seven, therefore, I do not presume to come to you, but say the word and let my servant be healed. Say the word and let my servant be healed. You don't have to come lay hands. You don't have to come anoint with oil. All you have to do from a distance is say the word and my servant will be healed. We just sang about this. One word. All Jesus has to say is one word. Everything is on his authority. That's what we see in this first story is that Jesus has authority over everything. Jesus has authority over everything. And because we recognize that, we place our faith in him. Jesus has authority over everything, so we place our faith in him. Just say the word and let my servant be healed. For I too am a man set under authority. Now he's gonna go into this illustration. He says, Jesus, you have authority in a similar way that I have authority. I too am a man set under authority. I understand authority structures. I'm a military man. There are soldiers under me. I say to one soldier, go, and that soldier must go. All I have to do is say the word. Don't need to give an explanation. All I have to do is point and tell him to go, and that soldier has to go. I say to one, go, and he goes. And I say to another, you come here, and he comes here. No questions asked. Just say the word. And to my servant, do this, and he does this. See, Jesus, just like I have authority over these men in my life, to tell them what to do and they have to listen, so too, Jesus, you have authority over everything. All you have to do is say the word. Don't need to give explanation, don't need to lay hands, don't need to anoint with oil. You don't even have to come into my house. All you have to do is speak and everything must listen and submit. That's the type of faith this centurion has. When Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him. And turning to the crowd that followed him, he said, I tell you, not even in Israel have I found such faith. And when those who had been sent returned to the house, they found the servant well. There's not many times in the New Testament where we see Jesus marvel at something. To marvel is to see something and be truly astonished. And what does Jesus find truly astonishing, truly remarkable in this story? Is that it's not his own people who have tremendous faith. It's this Roman Gentile centurion who has expressed a faith in God that Jesus has never seen in all of God's people. Now, what is faith? If Jesus is gonna make this the, the central point to this first story, the faith of this Gentile, we should probably talk about it. What is faith? You might have some different definitions swirling around in your mind. Hebrews chapter 11 says faith is this. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things unseen. What is faith? It's assurance, it's hope, it's conviction. It's not just this thought that, you know, maybe this thing might happen. 
Jesus, all you have to do is say the word and maybe, you know, we'll see. 50-50 chance, Jesus, if you just say the word, my servant might be. No, faith is, is 100% all in. I think of it like this. How many of you have been to the Sears Tower in Chicago? For those of you saying, it's the Willis Tower now. No, it's not. Sears Tower for life. You go to the 190 millionth floor of the Sears Tower, and they do this thing. All big, fancy, tall buildings do this now. They put like amusement parks, because we spend money on dumb things, don't we? So they know people will pay for this. So you go to the 190 millionth floor, and and on this way, way top floor, uh, there's a glass box. And this glass box doesn't sit inside the building. This glass box sits outside the building. And they say, all you got to do is just take a step and you'll have the greatest view of the city ever. It'll hold you. (laughs) Okay. No one's ever fallen through yet that you're not instilling confidence in my decision right now. No, the engineers got paid way too much money to build this thing. We spent way too much money making sure no one would ever plummet to their death. Go ahead, take a step. No, I believe you. I believe that if I take a step into this glass box hovering over the 190 millionth floor of the city of Chicago, that I won't fall through. I believe you. Then take a step and do it. Absolutely not. No, I won't. Now, I trust you that it can hold me, but see, here's what faith is. Faith is saying, I trust that it'll hold me. I believe that it'll hold me. So I'm taking a step into it and trusting and having faith that it really will hold me. That's faith. Faith is assurance. Faith is hope. Faith is conviction. Not wishful thinking or just mental assent that Jesus maybe and can do some things for you. But all too often, that's the kind of faith that we place in Jesus. You know, I believe, believe he was a good teacher. Jesus said he was more than that. I believe he was a prophet. Mm Mm-hmm. Jesus said he was more than that. I believe that he can save me from my sins. But as long as we're just believing things about Jesus and not trusting in him and taking a step of faith and putting it all in on him, it's not real faith. Ephesians chapter two says, uh, we're saved by grace through faith in Christ. Not of our own doing, not a result of works, so no one can boast. It's by grace through faith in Christ alone. We take his righteousness, we give him our sin. That's the great exchange. That's the type of faith this Roman centurion has. Just say the word. Just say the word and my servant will be healed. Jesus has authority over everything, so we place our faith in him. Do you believe that this morning? Let me ask you a question. Jesus has authority over everything. What situation in your life right now do you doubt that in? Is there something? A bunch of y'all just shipped your kids off to college for the first time. You did your best, raised your child in the way they should go so when they're old, they won't depart from it. Right? I guess some mom's crying. Jesus has authority over everything. And maybe you've got a wayward son, a wayward daughter. Jesus has authority over everything. All he needs to do is say the word. Repentance happens. 
Maybe it's a health thing. You got a new uh, health report and you're wondering, man, I don't know. Jesus has authority over everything. You can trust him. You can place your faith in him even during this health thing. Maybe it's a job thing. I don't know what it is. You fill in the blank. You know what it is for you, but Jesus has authority even over that. And because he has authority over everything, we place our faith in him. We take that step of faith. That's what faith is. Now here's a question. How do we grow in our faith? If that's the main point of this first story is faith, how do we grow in that? Here's step one. Place your faith in Christ. Place your faith in Jesus Christ. We're saved by his grace through faith, not by our own works. It's not as if we bring some good stuff to the table and then Jesus brings the rest. Jesus brings all of it and we trust in him. We trust that he came and lived the perfect life that you and I are totally incapable of living because we have sin in our life. He died the death that you and I deserve to die to pay the penalty for that sin. That Jesus didn't stay dead. He rose from the dead, defeating death so that in Christ, when you and I place our faith in him, we can truly live. Life abundant here and now, life eternal later. We place our faith in him. Secondly, how do we grow in our faith? Those spiritual discipline things we talked about. If you weren't here for that series, sermons live online forever, even if they're bad. You can find them online. They're on YouTube. They're on our website. You read your Bible, get up early, pray. There's all these different things that God has given us so that we can grow in our faith. Third thing, how do we grow in our faith? We be faithful when opportunities for faith arise. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. When opportunities to have faith come up, we choose to have faith and trust in him. I heard a story from a man in our church recently who was not looking for a new job, uh, and one just kind of came up. Came up out of the blue and faced the decision, what do we do with this? I wasn't looking for this. I wasn't seeking this out, uh, and it just kind of happened. Let's be faithful and see what happens. Doors start opening. This wasn't the plan. This wasn't the plan, but we're going to trust the Lord with all our heart in this one and see what happens. Doors keep opening. It gets down to him and one other person, and that last door slams in his face. Ah, what a bummer. And this man told me, no, not a bummer. This was one of the greatest things that's ever happened for me in my faith because what it did, it gave me an opportunity to just step into it. Just step in the box, be faithful and see what God was gonna do. And just by being faithful, his faith grew. Jesus has authority over everything, so we place our faith in him. Let's look at our second story. The second thing we see from the second story is that Jesus is for everyone. Jesus is for everyone, all kinds of people, all walks of life, not just the people who look like you, act like you, think like you, talk like you, vote like you, everything like you. Jesus is for all kinds of people, he's for everyone. And because that's the truth, we have compassion towards all. Soon afterward, he went to a town called Nain. We're not totally sure uh, how soon afterwards, and we're not totally sure where Nain is. Might be about 25 miles away. And his disciples and a great crowd went with him. As he drew near to the gate of the town, behold, a man who had died was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And a considerable crowd from the town was with her. Now, why do we say Jesus is for everyone? Look at the contrasting characters of this story. We have uh, wealthy, honorable, status, authority, 
uh, Gentile, Roman, centurion, man, like all of this power stuff going on in this first story. And in the second story, what do we see? A grieving, sad widow who's Jewish, based upon the grieving practices here, we can come to that conclusion, uh, who just lost her only son. So we have vulnerable, uh, weeping, woman, widow, no children. The, the, the stories are completely contrasting. That's why we see Jesus is for everyone, even in this story. There's a considerable crowd coming from the town that was with her. And when the Lord saw her, when Jesus saw her, he had compassion on her and said to her, do not weep. Two things we're gonna flesh out real quick. Compassion and do not weep. How many have been to a funeral before? Most of us, right? How insensitive would it be during a memorial service, a celebration of life, a funeral, as someone was up front telling a story and weeping about it, how insensitive would it be for someone to stand up and say, don't weep? It'd be terrible. This is what we do. We mourn with those who mourn. It'd be terribly insensitive, unless, of course, Jesus was about to do something awesome, which he is. Do not weep. Jesus has compassion on here. So let's, let's talk about compassion. Let's talk about what compassion is. Let's also talk about what compassion is not. Compassion is not get over it. You think your life's hard? And to walk to school both ways, uphill, in the snow, get over it. Not compassion. Life can be hard, suck it up, buttercup. Not compassion. Toughen up. What doesn't kill you makes you stronger. Thanks, Carrie Underwood. Not compassion. What is compassion? Compassion is more than just feeling for something. This Greek word here that renders out compassion, here's what it actually means. Felt it in the bowels, which means something real different to me and you, doesn't it? How was that compassion to feel it in the bowels? More uh, contemporary uh, translation would be this. His heart went out to her. His heart went out to her. His heart broke for her and the situation that she was in. How many of you felt that before? That heartbreaky feeling where you just feel bad about a situation that someone is going through. But compassion is so much more than just feeling bad. So much more than just feeling bad. By way of illustration, let me talk about it like this. I feel bad about what happened in Maui with the Lahaina fires. I feel terrible. Is anyone else with me? You feel bad. Your heart breaks. You've been there. You've seen the people. You love the place. You love the people. You love the culture. You just, it's great. My heart breaks. My heart goes out to them. But here's the deal. If all that happens is I feel bad, then compassion did not take place. Compassion has action. Compassion has action. Compassion, my heart goes out to them, and then my hands and feet follow. Okay, so I don't, I don't know if you have time to fly out to Maui tomorrow so your hands and feet can follow. You probably don't. So what do we do in a situation like this? How do we help? If it's real compassion, if our hearts break, our hearts go out to them, if our hearts go out to them in this situation, here's what compassion can look like, and our wallets are soon to follow. 
God, this is tragic what's going on in the lives of these people. I can't go over there right now and help, but I can help financially. That's what compassion can look like for us. People, some people in our church have been asking this question the last four days. You know, what are we doing? What are we doing about Maui? What are we doing? We're, we're, we're giving. We're giving money to organizations who are in Maui right now. Delivering hope, delivering food, cleaning things up. That's what compassion can look like for us. Our hearts go out to them, but action has to follow for it to really be compassion. And that's what Jesus does here. By the way, if you want to participate in compassion when it comes to what's going on in Lahaina, one of our largest ministry partners is called Convoy of Hope. You can go on to convoyofhope.org and give. You can have compassion through Convoy of Hope. They're there right now. They're cleaning, they're helping, they're serving, they're feeding. And, and Convoy of Hope says, as much as we deliver food, we deliver hope the hope of Jesus Christ. That's what they're doing there right now, delivering hope. You can partner and be compassionate alongside with Convoy of Hope. He has compassion on her and said to her, do not weep. Then he came up and touched the bier and the bearer stood still. Now let's explain this for a second. Imagine this with me, a six foot long board, like a piece of plywood that's maybe two or three feet wide. And on this board, there's like three sets of handles going out. Just like we have pallbearers carrying people in funerals, so too they had pallbearers. And the thing a pallbearer holds onto was this beard, this handle thing. There would be a body on a board wrapped in cloth and they'd likely be walking outside the city to do a burial service. This is what Jesus stumbles into. This is what Jesus walks into and he has compassion. He walks up, touches one of the handles and the bearers stand still. And he said, young man, I say to you, arise. And the dead man sat up and began to speak and Jesus gave him to his mother. Fear seized them all and they glorified God saying, a great prophet has arisen among us and God has visited his people. And this report about him spread through the whole of Judea and all the surrounding country. Just like that Roman centurion heard the news of Jesus because of what he was saying and what he was doing. The news of Jesus, what he has said, what he's teaching and what he has done continues to spread all over the world. This is what happens when you have a real encounter with Jesus, your life has changed and you go out and you talk about him. Jesus has compassion because Jesus is for everyone. So too, you and I are compassionate to all. Let's ask a question real quick. Is compassion something that God expects from all of his people? Not a trick question. Everyone just say yes. It is an expectation that God's people are compassionate people. You look in the book of Psalms, Psalms 86. Um, it says that God the Father is compassionate and he's gracious. God the Father is compassionate. God the Father is gracious. You can look at the person of Jesus. There's story after story throughout the Gospels. Matthew chapter 9, Jesus sees a crowd and his heart goes out to them. His heart breaks for them. They look like sheep without a shepherd. They look helpless. They look harassed. And it says Jesus having compassion on them, he taught them. So if God the Father is compassionate and gracious, and God the Son is compassionate and gracious, uh, and we see things like Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1, where it says, be imitators of God then as dearly loved children. If God the Father is compassionate and God the Son is compassionate, guess what God's people are supposed to be? Compassionate. It's what he wants from us. He wants compassionate hearts, hearts that break, hearts that go out to people. But compassion has to have action. 
Ephesians chapter four, verse 32 says this, um, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God and Christ forgave you. Now let's do a, put a little scale, a spectrum here. Uh, the tenderhearted scale, we'll call it. We have cold-hearted individuals. Raise your hands, cold-hearted, so we can not sit by you anymore. Um, just kidding, don't do that. Uh, cold-hearted, and we have tender-hearted. Okay, cold-hearted is like you saw Marley and me and you didn't cry. If that's you, you're cold-hearted and you're disgusting. Just kidding. But maybe that's you. You're just kind of more tough, kind of a, kind of a more like hard, crunchy exterior shell. It's just kind of who you are. God's created all of us different. Okay, that's fine. Oh, that's cold-hearted. Or maybe you're more tender-hearted. We watched Avengers Endgame this week. I think I cried seven times. I'm tender-hearted. I can't help it. Now, are any of us without excuse? Do we get to look and say, you know what? I just don't show emotion that same way. I just don't I got more of like a hard exterior shell. I'm, I'm closer to this spectrum than in on, on that spectrum. Um, here's the deal. You can be here and not be compassionate and you can feel bad about things and you cannot be compassionate. It's more than just feeling bad. If our hearts go out to people, our hands and feet have to follow. That's compassion. And God expects it of us. Colossians chapter three, we're told, put on then as God's chosen ones, compassionate hearts. It's an expectation of God's people that when our hearts go out to people, our hands and our feet follow. Compassion has to show action. So that's the expectation. How do we grow in compassion? We had faith as the main point of the first story and compassion is the main point of the second one. How do we grow in our compassion? Here's the first thing. We place our faith in Christ. How do we grow in our faith? We place our faith in Christ. How do we grow in compassion? We place our faith in Christ. Why? You can only fake it for so long. You can only be something you're not for so long. Here's what the scriptures teach, Ephesians chapter one. When we hear the word of our salvation, the good news of the gospel, and place our faith, our hope, our trust in Christ, Ephesians chapter one says, God the Spirit, the Holy Spirit seals us. He seals us and then does amazing things through our life. He produces fruit, the fruit of the Spirit. When we submit our life to Christ, God does things in our life that previously were not in existence before. I call this a testimony, right? Many of you can look at your BC days, your before Christ days, and see before Christ, I was like this. Not compassionate, not tenderhearted, really just didn't care for others. In Christ, now that I've seen God's compassion for me, that he looked on me as a sheep without a shepherd, as someone who was helpless and harassed, as someone who was hurting, who someone's, his heart went out to me, so he did something with his hands and with his feet. He came to this earth and died a death you and I deserve to die. He saved us. That changes us. The fruit of the spirit is, what's the first one listed? Love. If we want to grow in compassion, we have to give our life to Christ. Why? Because God will begin producing that through us. It's not something we can just fake it till we make it. Second way, how do we grow in our compassion? Daily surrender ourselves to the Lord and say, God, would you help me see with your eyes? That's what happened in the second story, right? God saw her. We have two massive crowds. Jesus' disciples in a crowd just like looky-loos, kind of following, checking this whole Jesus thing out. And we have the grieving widow. 
with her crowd converging at the city gate, a lot going on there. And I would be prone and inclined to just say, I don't have time for that. I would see a lot of people. I would see a lot of tears, a lot of sorrow, a lot of mess, and I'd go the other way. Not Jesus. He saw her. Why? Because he has eyes to see. We pray daily and submit ourselves unto the Lord and say, God, would you help me see things the way you see them? Would you help me hear the hurt in people's voice when they're talking about life? Right, when I ask that question, hey, how you doing? And someone says, meh. God, would you give me your heart to press in and say, hey, what's going on? Instead of, okay, bye. We ask God for his eyes. We ask God for his ears. We ask God for his heart so real compassion can take place, just like compassion from Christ has happened to us. Third thing, how do we grow in our compassion? We just commit to it. We commit daily to saying, you know what, God? I'm gonna go out into the world with a perspective today. This is, Kevin talked about this last week. Uh, I'm gonna go out into the world with a perspective that doesn't say, here I am, world. What are you gonna do for me? Here I am, see me, serve me, do what I need. We commit to compassion in such a way where we go out into the world and say, there you are, world. Here I am. How can I help? That's compassion. Has to lead to action, not just feeling bad. Jesus has authority over everything, not just the good things, even the bad things going on in our life. He has a plan for your life, for his glory and for our good. Jesus is over Everything, And because he's over everything, we place our faith in him. Friends, I'm not sure what's going on in your situation, but let me tell you, our God is good, he's righteous, he's just, he has authority over everything, and you can trust him. Whatever's going on in your life this morning, would you place your faith, your trust in him, knowing that he's good, that he cares for you? Jesus is for everyone, so too would we be the same. Would we have eyes and a heart of compassion to the lost world all around us, Amen. Let's pray. God, that's what we want this morning. We want your heart. We want your heart to become our heart. God, we want your eyes to become our eyes. God, would you give us eyes to see the pain, the suffering, the sorrow going on in the world and the lives around us so we can be your hands and feet. So we can truly love the way you love. So we can truly have compassion, not just feel bad about things, God, but do something about it, just like you did something for us. God, I pray in the, the lives of my friends and family and uh, who are here this morning, God, are just the difficult things going on. God, we've got children going off to school and, and there's stories of children who are about to be homeless. God, there's bad health reports, there's job transitions, there's unexpected things going on in our lives that hurt all around us. God, would we not run from you, but would we run to you this morning? Would we fix our eyes on you and place our faith, our hope, and our trust in you? God, we thank you that you work all things for our good and for your glory. God, we glorify you now by responding in praise. God, we love you. In the name of your son, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen.
Jesus has authority over everything, so we place our faith in him. Friends, I'm not sure where you're at in your faith this morning in Jesus Christ. Maybe you have a lot of questions and you're looking for someone to answer those. Maybe uh, you'd like to take that step of faith, enter the glass box, actually place your faith, your hope, your trust in Christ for who he is, what he's taught, and what he's done for us. If you're any of those things this morning, we'd love to have a conversation with you and just point you in the right direction to help you grow in that faith and grow in that relationship with the Lord and also grow in relationship with other believers. If that's here, wonderful. If you're in from out of town, we'll hop on the Google machine and help you find a church that's close to you. Um, One of the best ways to do that this morning, there's a team of people in the back of the worship center by that massive glowing follow Jesus sign. You can't miss it. If that's your heart's desire this morning, if you have questions about that, head back there when the service ends. We'd love to have a conversation with you. Jesus has authority over everything, so we place our faith in him. Friends, would you place your faith in Christ regardless of what's going on in life this week? Would we place our faith, our trust, our hope in Christ and in Christ alone? Jesus is for everyone, so we too are compassionate to all. Would we go out into our world that desperately needs Jesus and be the hands and feet of our precious Savior this week? God, we love you guys. Go love each other. We'll see you next week. Bye-bye.